It's a spooky and a mystery in honor of A Haunting in Venice in theaters this weekend. What is your favorite supernatural mystery story? I'm Katie Rich and I'm going to go with Rosemary's Baby because what could be more supernatural and mysterious and weird than creating a life inside you? Mm. Mm. That's a way to look at it. it. It's a a very particular life in Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) But it's inside her. I'm Matt Patches. I don't remember if this is a, a real mystery, but it's very mysterious. I'm going to go with Personal Shopper, which also kind of mm. has a, a ghost in it. Kristen Stewart's trying to talk to it. I think it's her dead bro. Um, it's good, good movie. Good I don't ghost. know if it really counts, him, but... Bro. bro. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. <laughs> hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and I feel like I've mentioned the changeling on this podcast a bit here before, but uh, this is another good time to bring up the changeling. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I don't know if this counts as a mystery. I guess they're, they're, it's a mystery, but I got the Criterion Blu-ray in the mail today. It's always on my mind this time of year. I will go with the others. Mm. <laughs> I think it's kind of a mystery, right? Aren't yeah. they trying to like solve a mystery before you realize they're basically the mystery? Yeah. Spoiler for the others. Whoa, spoiler! Yeah, spoiler for the others right at the top. Fast and loose right here. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 444. Wow, that's a landmark that we didn't prepare anything for. Uh, It's the week of Wednesday, September 13th. That is the day that in 1969, Scooby-Doo premiered on CBS. Although it says, Scooby-Doo, where are you? Is that different from original Scooby-Doo? That is original Scooby-Doo. It was called Scooby-Doo, where are you? And uh, has... Weird. (laughs) Scooby Dooby Doo. Oh, where I know. Are you? I mean, I'm very familiar with the song. I think it's because ori- initially a lot of some of the plots were like uh, they go to the haunted place and Scooby's the one who draws them further in, would be my guess. Ah, okay. But still, still running in some sort of iteration, Scooby Doo never dies. I'm changing my absolutely... lightning round answer to Scooby Doo. Where are you? Mm. Scooby Doo. actually the great supernatural mystery. Imagine watching Scooby-Doo in like chronological order as opposed to just like chopped up into random reruns on TBS, which is I actually how we all encountered it. I have watched the entirety of the Scooby-Doo Where Are You original run because uh, I got it on DVD wow. and I decided I was going to teach myself its structure. So somewhere in my storage, I have a notebook that's just like episode one. This happens. Then this happens. It was... <laughs> One, one of, of the, the, most the bigger things you, I've ever done. One of the bigger you woods I've encountered recently. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but I know did how Scooby Doo works. Did yeah, did you figure it out or did it just baffle you at every turn? No, it's really good. And then it also helps because it's a, a level of animation where they're using a whole bunch of repeated backgrounds, but mm. it's not at the level of animation where you can tell you could or it's still a level of animation where you could tell the cell animation is different than the background. So there's always like points where they're like running past a whole bunch of suits of armor and one looks different. I'm like, that one's going to move. So oh, yeah. it taught me a bunch of stuff. I, re- I remember those days. Scooby-Doo taught me who Tim Conway was because Scooby-Doo would have like real life people as themselves in yeah. episodes drawn in their style. And that's the only reason I know who like Tim Conway is. Don Knotts was on that show too, but at Scooby least Doo. Disney movies. Scooby-Doo taught me how to be weird. Uh, yeah, a life of watching Nick at night really would expose you. It was a lot of pop culture we got exposed to where you're like, I don't know who this person is, but you just move on. And you're just like, of course, Tim Conway is still famous in the 90s. I just don't understand it yet because I'm a child. But he wasn't famous anymore. Thank you, uh, Scooby. Thanks, Scoob. Uh, and thanks to the people who, as I understand, left us some um, reviews. Uh, yeah, we got a couple. Um I believe uh, I have the honor of starting with one that's just straight up diss in my direction. So always <laughs> a great place to start. It's been a while since you've I'm coming caught alive. one of your own disses, some would say Some would say too long. Uh, someone, uh, particularly <laughs> this person, would say too long. KDMDJDJDJD. Three stars. Mm. Uh, three stars in spite of what I can see uh, in this two-sentence review. 
and on and on. Nobody in the world loves to hear themselves talk more than David Ehrlich. Everybody else is great. Well, I would say that I actually, in fact, hate hearing myself talk. I just love making you listen. The difference. Um, Euro Six Webelo says the best movie friends you could ever wish for. Longtime listener, oh. first ever podcast review. First ever oh, I podcast think we, review. We got, well, we got this one. Fuck you, Dave, and fuck you, yeah. Euro Six Webelo. Uh, yeah, these are these are kind of out of order. Um, Beth, it was Tip. a really nice review, though. You should just read it for your yourself. I will. I'm sure they are a lovely person, and I appreciate the review. Beth Tip says one of three Ehrlich fans getting a shout out in last week's podcast was a nice finish to my Telluride experience. This, I think, is the uh, Bethany, the program or the the theater runner at Telluride, who I mentioned on last week's show. Um, thank you. It was my first time there, and it was a pretty balanced experience of getting to meet David, Kitty Green, and Werner Herzog, who were all lovely mm. people. Met with getting elbowed in the face by Pablo Lorraine, who was trying to make his way to Ed Lockman. I'd work there again in a heartbeat. Watch out for Pablo Lorraine's elbows, everybody. They are flying every which way. Anyway, thanks again for this podcast, which I look forward to every week, along with all of your various other projects. Looking forward to reading the MCU book, Dave. If you're ever in the area, come visit Upstate Films. That's Upstate Films. You're all welcome anytime. And I suppose that uh, invite goes out to not just us, but the seven people who listen to this podcast. Everyone, go up to Upstate Films in Upstate New York. Uh, Sounds like a lovely time. Meet Bethany. Tell you're a friend of the pod and then specify which one. Um, That's Beth Tip. Dave, can can you talk yet about any promotional opportunities around the MCU book and where people might be able to find you IRL? Yeah, if you uh, want to see Joanna Robinson talk about the book uh, with Mallory Rubin, if you're, say, a Ringer House of Art fan, uh, that'll be happening uh, in Los Los Angeles, Barnes & Noble on uh, the 9th of October, on the 10th of October at 6 p.m. at the MacArthur... uh, location for the tattered cover uh joanna and i will be doing an event here in denver that's release day that'll be super fun uh on wednesday we will be doing a live podcast recording at a comedy club uh on the upper east side of manhattan very much looking forward to that i've never performed at a comedy club before thursday mr matt patches will be hosting a talk with us at the new york comic-con uh friday we will be having an event where we'll be screening the first episode of Loki season two and then doing a Q&A both about that and the book. And then Saturday, I think we're doing something, uh, but who knows? And then Sunday, we're going to be where in are DC. You screening Loki. Where is that? Sorry, I missed that. Where yeah, is that? I think we're still <laughs> I think we're still locking that down, but it's somewhere in Brooklyn, I believe. Oh, you didn't okay. send Matt Patches your tour writer to let him I didn't follow Here's- along. Here's what I'm endeavoring to do uh, sometime in between when you hear this week's podcast and next week's podcast. I have a little website. It's themcubook.com. Right now, that sends you to the publisher site where you could pre-order things. I'm going to boost that up with some links so you could reserve your spots if this is a a reservable event, or at the very least, so you know exactly where we're going to be and at what time, which I am not being helpful with now as we're uh, like sort of locking these things down. But themcubook.com. We'll have your information about where to find us as we go on a book tour. Will you uh, be signing copies of the book? Uh, I believe we'll be signing copies of the book everywhere we're all going to be. There's definitely a signing after our um, Comic-Con panel for, what? I believe, there is? an hour. Do I have to stay for that? Ugh. No. no. An hour? Get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be down at the Artist Alley. I will with also the rest sign of the nice copies people. of the MCU book. I vow. <laughs> I love that. Uh, There's going to be a collector's item. It's like this book signed by Matt Patches. You didn't write the book. It's like uh, a yeah. misprint of a DVD He's in the thank you. I was about to it's say, just we are on the, the acknowledgements. I appreciate that. That's thank true. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, we're, I'll let you guys know as those things develop, but the no mcubook.com will eventually update. Bring one of those fucking MCU books near me. I only sign Snyderverse books. Been a policy of mine for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Joko417. Says great show of critical friends. Longtime listener, love the show. Once you get to know each host's personality, it really feels like a bunch of informed friends just making fun of each other for an hour. Question for <laughs> the friends. Yeah. With the changing landscape of films in the last decade, streamer dominance, changes in box office, direct to digital movies, social media, era of TV, etc. What are some of the changes and challenges you've noticed in film criticism? 
where do you think film criticism is going? And oh, how God. would you compare it to television criticism today? Maybe uh, we should rank this for when we uh, don't have anything to talk about. Like, uh, like, uh, episode, not a, uh, it's going to my fucking be. therapist's office is uh, where it's going. Well, Quentin Tarantino yeah. says there are no film critics whose names are memorable. So, David, I'm sorry. Tarantino I mean, I do not have a particularly Tarantino. memorable name. In fairness to Quentin Tarantino, who used to comment on IndieWire and probably knows who the people are. Yeah, well, I mean, criticism, big but, yeah. Facebook guy. Yeah. To, be, to be fair, the newest uh, Killers of the Flower Moon trailer climaxes on a David Ehrlich full quote. So It, bas- it does come. Ooh. It comes all That sounds, yeah, that sounds yeah, sick. Like, they uh yeah they really they really built up to that one um greatly in order to offer a short and obvious answer to this but it's been revelation to me yeah yeah go for it i started started using letterbox properly that's great did you i really like watching a movie and then being able to see what like a bunch of relatively smart people said about it not trying to like sift through rotten tomatoes and who's a top critic and who's not uh, I don't know if that don't is you think that's anti-critic of you. Yeah, don't you think do that's that anti-top uh, critics? Huh? I'm a little. It, but I'm like, like a little I'm anti- my friends. Here. But like, if I pull up a movie and, and like the people populace. who I follow have reviewed it, they'll be on top. So my personal top critics, like uh, David oh, Ehrlich, so you recommend will be right there. Film critics. Mm, well, like I, I mean, I don't think you have to be David's personal friend to. Follow him on Letterbox. I think that's the whole point. Like, well, if I pull a crazy up Barbie, no, no. you have David to be either yeah. my personal friend, or as is the case for the other, however many people, my personal <laughs> enemy. <laughs> uh, but I found a very anyway. Everyone knows about Letterbox. Yes. This is not new for most people, but for me, it has been delightful, especially at um, a film festival. Like walking out of a movie and being like, "Who else saw this? What'd they say?" I had so much fun meeting two sets of the Letterbox team: one in Telluride and one in Toronto. Uh, I mean, I knew the Toronto, the people I saw in Toronto, but I met the co-founder, Matthew Buchanan, uh, in person for the first time, and his wife, Catherine, among some of the other Letterboxd staff, but I already met before and tell you, right, they were lovely. I found a very niche use for, for Letterboxd at Toronto, which is when you're deciding what to see, and it's in that like gray zone between when a movie has screened its premiere and when critical reviews have, like, critics' reviews have come out, uh, yeah. Letterboxd will be crawling with takes that are more reliable than uh, you'll find on Twitter uh, more the yeah. social media formerly known as and uh, that, that saved me from Knox Goes Away and some other movies Wow, Letterboxd feels like it is my refuge as Twitter dies like where I cannot go like I can't really go on there and be like hey has anybody ever seen this movie from the 80s and like five people reply like that's not happening anymore and Letterboxd feels like a solution uh, okay well you can follow us uh, all maybe on Letterboxd um you can <laughs> leave us a review on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. We'll read it live on the show. Otherwise, you're going to hear about how I just got Infinite and Marvel Snap again. No. Oh, God. Uh, 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 my toxic Evo deck crushing it. I cannot help but be infinite. What can I say? Um, yes. So go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review on the show. There is an actual show. It's not just us reading our own reviews, although that would be a very funny, <laughs> well, self-reflexive construct guess what david yeah we still got two more things to read because <laughs> if you, you don't leave us segue. a review in the american podcast app you could send us an email fitwr.podcast at gmail.com we got two emails that we will not be reading aloud because they are just for katie about cats i have forwarded them on to her i just saw them in my inbox two thank different you. emails about cats being sent one person sent a follow-up okay. uh sharon thank you so much for your input i'm really <laughs> excited she included a picture of her cat on her christmas card uh which is wonderful. And just for me, not for any of you. Uh, we also have an email. This one's from Bala, whose uh, the subject is podcast review, Doc Frontrunners. Uh, hello, I've been listening to your podcast since October 2021 and have been very much enjoying it for the past two years. I listen to a lot of film podcasts, but yours is one of the few where regardless of whether or not I've seen the film or I'm specifically interested in the topic you're covering, I still tune in anyways, and I'm always happy to spend about an hour with you guys, unless I'm avoiding spoilers, which makes A24 films super annoying because they take ages to come out here in London, so I have to circle back after I've watched the film sometimes months later. I'm specifically emailing because I need your help. I am doing the Vulture Film League this year and realize I have Ooh. no idea which documentaries are the front runners for 2023, and was hoping you guys could take five minutes to talk about it before the deadline to submit my team on the 28th of September any guidance would be much appreciated. So we could try right now, or I could star this and we could come back 
next week because we just need it before the 28th of September. Oh, Who man, feels yeah. good I'm, about ducks? Yeah. I would love to talk more about the Fantasy League uh, because our friend Joe Reed does it and it's uh, fun and I plan to do it as well. And so, but I'm actually looking, it doesn't look like there's a lot of documentaries that are on, that are eligible to draft on there. I have to take a closer look at it, but you might have less of a problem there than you think. Got it. Well, I'm we'll going to take that. that as a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to star it. We'll be back uh, next week, Bola. Thanks for, or Bala. He even says like football, ball like football. Dig it. Thanks, Bala. We'll be back next week and uh, hopefully have some documentaries for you. This next one comes from Luke. Uh, it says, I'm a listener and I have a movie coming out is the subject. Mm. Hello, Fitware gang. I just found you guys via Storm of Spoilers back in the day. I first found you guys via Storm of Spoilers back in the day and I've been a fan of the podcast ever since. Unlike many people who seem to write in, I didn't even have a phrase where I was annoyed, a phase where I was annoyed with Patches or Ehrlich before growing to love them. Uh, I was in rare. from the first time I heard the best opening jingle in the film podcast game. Anyway, this email is probably a long shot, but I recently wrote and directed my first feature film. It's a sci-fi comedy starring Reese Darby, Flight of the Concords, our flag means death, what we do in the shadows, about an incompetent time traveler. I wrote it to work through my various anxieties about the future and our seeming inability to make it better. It's a very small Canadian indie. I'm from Toronto, but we've managed to secure a limited theatrical run across the US and Canada on September 22nd. I'm very excited, but Reese's SAG and the AMTPT refuse to stop being gigantic assholes, so we can't really promote it. If any of you have any interest in watching it, I'd happily provide a screener. I generally think Reese is pretty incredible and hilarious in the film. Even if you never spoke about it on mic, I'd get a thrill knowing any of you had seen it. I think there's a real chance at least two of you would enjoy it. Does, he does not go on to say which two. Regardless, thanks for the many hour of entertainment. You're all great. All the best, Luke. Luke, you know what? I think someone's going to get back to you. But thank you oh, so yeah. much for writing in. Uh, and I hope that well, uh, I will say we I, can got a, I got a PR email about Luke's movie, which is based on a short film he directed 10 years ago. So this is obviously a labor of love. And uh, I'll have to hit, hit them up for a screener. Cause, can you help uh, me out with on something? September that, 22nd. God. I mean, uh, can you help me out with something that Luke left out, which is the title of this the movie? The title is called Relax, I'm From the Future. It stars Reese mm. Darby. From Fly the Concords and Our Flag Means Death. It is coming out um, September 22nd. It's in theaters, it should be noted. That is it very played, exciting. Uh, I'm, Fantasia. I would love to see it, and I would also love to see Reese Darby in something that is not Next Goal Wins. So, uh, very exciting all around. Excellent. Two-star emails. Look at this week. Uh, we will be picking those up, but if you want to email us with exciting news about your film getting released, advice about cats for Katie, anything really you can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com if it is bad we will not read it don't worry about it uh it's not it's not like it's a catch-all but those were some excellent ones now as david said before on with the uh -huh. show there is a show This week, like every week, it seems at this point, there's just a lot of things happening in the world of Taylor Swift. And I have Taylor <laughs> on the brain, not just because Gannett, the people who publish USA Today, are now looking to hire a Taylor Swift specific mm. reporter. Would we call them um, people? <laughs> uh, the entity, the conglomerate, the obelisk that commands things to the media. Um, <laughs> they're hiring just someone to cover. Taylor Swift, that's going to be a job. And uh, and maybe it makes sense because the VMAs happened this week. That's still kind of big. I don't, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, how MTV's VMAs still blow up and get lots of people to show up every year. But does anyone watch MTV? Well, they apparently matter? more, they, they were really uh, like tumbleweeds the last couple of years, but apparently their viewership ticked up uh, significantly I this mean, year. Because, in part because well, Taylor Swift was there. Doge well, and there's there. no and there's no reunion. other award shows right. because all the other ones are so I don't really understand how the VMAs weren't subject to strike. Like did they have no writers to make the VMAs happen? I don't based on watching clips of NSYNC mumble through their uh, Taylor Swift <laughs> intro, no, I don't think they do. But I, I saw Taylor Swift of all the, the people who showed up to going viral for because of Doja Cat's performance 
She was going viral mumbling, it's giving movie, it's giving cinematography. Uh, and people were lip reading she, her video. She said and that? She, was, she said that Doja Cat's performance gave, gave movie, gave cinematography. Oh mm. uh, oh realness, I guess. Taylor Swift has directed a movie that was Oscar eligible, so she knows. This is all to say, like, anything Taylor does becomes a thing. She's super memeable. She seems very in control of her, her meme power. And of course, as people who listen to this probably know, the Eras Tour that's been just making millions and millions and millions of dollars all summer. And so many of my friends who I didn't think were really into Taylor Swift apparently were and went to see her over this, this tour. Um, is going to come to movie theaters later this fall. AMC is putting it out itself. I don't really know how it's all going to work. Apparently, we'll play in theaters, theater chains that are not AMC, but AMC yeah, is Yeah, it's it. playing in other theaters. Yeah. AMC is just the distributor. Yeah, it's, I just find that interesting. I don't know how many other movies it AMC has put out in its uh, existence, but all, uh, of all of the movies <laughs> come out from one uh, thing. Uh, so Taylor Swift is, is huge, and what... The confluence moment here is that my daughter, who is five years old, is really into Taylor Swift right now. I asked mm. her today, how did this happen? She said, you played Taylor Swift. I don't think I did that on purpose because I'm not necessarily going. <laughs> I'm not one of the people who needed to see the Eras tour. I'm not one of the per people who are constantly playing Taylor Swift on Spotify and raking millions of, of Taylor's versions uh, up the, the charts. But we definitely heard her on the radio. She is on the radio all the time. And my daughter, who is five, is super into Taylor Swift, just like my friends who are 30. Um, so here's my question. Why is Taylor Swift so cross-generationally popular? Does it, is it something bigger about music and pop culture now that Taylor has carried for like almost 20 years because she started so young and she's like getting... I, I, how, how, is, how is she doing this? How is she so huge and monolithic that everything she does becomes a meme everything all the music she puts out immediately blows up and how is she reaching my five-year-old as much as 30-year-olds is this uncommon is this like the beatles or is this something bigger than any musical act before she hmm. actually i'm kind of curious what her legacy will be because i also don't think of her as like one of the great singers or one of the great i mean she's a songwriter and she gets a lot of credit for that and we talked at length about her documentary a few years ago where we got to go behind the scenes with some of her songwriting she is a master in that way or a prodigy but like i don't know what she's the greatest at except being like in an immovable brand she's she's here to stay forever and ever apparently why yeah uh, uh i would say from my seat which is uh being aware of taylor swift but also not like patches is saying necessarily going to concerts or streaming her a lot on streaming services I bought Taylor Swift albums either off iTunes or on, I think the first one on CD, like a old. Uh, but it seems like uh, with the, you know, the spreading of the music industry post Napster to be a whole bunch of things, Taylor Swift is the only one. Maybe it's Taylor Swift and Beyonce. They both kind of came out of the uh, mid 2000s uh, with still usable brands. Uh, Justin Timberlake tried to pivot and then never came back to music. So, like, I think that something like that probably went away. But isn't this like the the handing down of the old Michael Jackson crown? Isn't it just every every generation has their pop star that is uh, probably just as good at marketing themselves as they are at actually making music, and we we elevate that because I I do remember Taylor Swift, at least the version of Taylor Swift that exists now seems to exist as a fighter who has fought for everything, even though she's paid for a lot of it. But like from Kanye West, you know, storming the stage during her award to her wanting to get her own masters back and deciding that when she can't, the best uh, version is Taylor's version, which is like doing a greatest hits, but just remaking every album that you already knew had hits on it. Uh, it just seems like really, really shrewd and uh, good marketing i wish she used her pull for something other than to make herself more famous uh but if she is gonna I do mean, that she's tried to do that politically yeah she tried yeah. to put her finger on the scale it didn't work though right like she well, couldn't well, actually i don't know if you can like blame advocating her for, that, for but... a candidate is putting your finger on the scale 
It's not. What do you mean? What is that? I mean, too it's, mal- it, is that sound malicious. This is yeah, entire- it doesn't make it sound like she's like has some lever of power. She's just a famous. I mean, person. there is an entire look- movie about this. This is uh, yes. Yeah, this Americana centers on how yeah. she agonized over you know, given her pull and the demographic she appeals to, how meaningful it would be for her to weigh in politically, and it was, and she was a correct decision, and. Uh, that movie is not at all self-serving, even though it might sound facetious when I say that. I really mean it. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I agreed with everything up until that part. It obviously, is self-serving. I, mean, I, I have written a length about. I have I written know. a length about this movie about and it. why I find it so poignant and sincere. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there is no simple answer to this. There are classes taught about her at NYU, as you said. There's now a job where you can just follow her. Uh, she is an industry unto herself. Um, I think all the things that you guys said were accurate, but I also think that uh, Patches makes the fatal mistake of underestimating her artistry, which um, wow. Wait, is... why? I, I said that. Because that maybe she's that's brilliant. the answer. I, I, mean, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, she's... Uh, her I'm, her not, music I'm not is saying great. there's some other... Um, well, there's a lot of extremely talented people who don't rise to that level, so there's obviously more of course, going on. But, but you know, I don't it's, think this it's an accessible brilliance but i mean she's also very very good at this i mean like that's another thing that is sort of intrinsically what the documentary is about i mean she is a absolute master she and tree pain and her team they're incredible that tree pain is her publicist the legend um they are incredible at at you know owning the narrative and knowing when to pop up when to go down um it's you know and they just build off the momentum and it builds and builds and builds and eventually like a person sitting at a poker table who is dominating in chips versus the other players they can leverage their own success against anyone else um which makes me more powerful um can i say something that's like a sidebar to what you're saying because i think often about taylor swift and how powerful she is now and back to the the era before they leaked like when she was at war with Kim and Kanye, basically, and like kind of a little bit before that, I think it was when the Reputation album came out. Like, I think she became more uncool. Like, she seemed like like people thought she was secretly conservative for a long time before she came out that political stance. Like, oh God, she people thought Tom, she was Tom like Hiddleston, and that seems silly. Like, she was always posting pictures <laughs> with like her like almost exclusively white group of girlfriends. I feel like she had this point where she seemed just kind of like ridiculous and out of touch, and she has so come back from that. Like, I think not as before again there are classes about this i'm gonna get it wrong like it felt like it charted around the pandemic like she has those two like folky albums that get bon Iver on there so it gets like you know old guys in their 40s to pay attention um and she has come and back in so their late thoroughly. 30s that is impressive and in their late 30s just for <laughs> a little longer um it uh it's just <laughs> impressive and i would love for someone to kind of walk me through the cultural tides. That I, well, I think Katie, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, she, there was a moment around, you know, the squad and all of that and the please welcome to the stage era. If you have any, yeah. talking about where, you know, there was definitely a bit of uh, what the kids today would cringely call cringe. Um, and oh, looks like that was in 20. Yes, yeah. Please um, welcome to the stage was in 2015 on that tour. And like yeah. that really felt like being like, like, like yeah, she's very famous. But, and has a lot of famous know, friends, but I, like it's a classic narrative. I mean, you got to get knocked down in order to build yourself back up and become even stronger. And she rebounded so, with Anne Hathaway won an Oscar, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and she, uh, yeah, I mean, she reinvented herself in a way. Um, she churned the, the shit that she had gone through and uh, put out in the world into uh, her next evolution of her persona. She came back with what I think are, you know, those pandemic albums. Both of them are like two of the best albums she'd ever made. Um, she also sued that radio DJ that she came sued before that radio those. That, that was, was a big, big part of it. She was like on the dollar, cover of right? Time. Like, she's really yeah, it, was yeah, like, yeah. It, was, it was to prove a point. But in the, uh, uh, and that, she was on like the Me Too cover yes. of Time that year. In the Taylor Swift story, as she likes to tell it, that is a very pivotal moment in terms of really, like reclaiming her power. Um, yeah. and, uh, I believe it. Um, I mean, yeah. maybe the answer so, to my question is actually all of this narrative that so many people do not uh, yes. have like, yes, David, she's super talented. That's not to, to undercut that at all, but there's something don't else going on with Taylor Swift that a lot of other artists don't have, which is she, she's a storyteller in the albums and outside the album. She's created narrative Absolutely. for herself and she puts on a show 
whenever she steps out, she's in total control of the camera. You know, I think we've have talked on this podcast before that like we expect Taylor Swift to make go make a movie like a full length feature film at some point. She, she has a deal be, with Fox. She has, yeah, to do yeah, she's doing right. okay, yeah, it's happening. Um, so at some point, when I think Hollywood she works again. clearly has a director's eye. She knows or and hey, I, I don't fault her for being in Cats, but she could she's an actor. Like she knows the camera. She should have directed cats. She would have made a better cats. Um, they would have had buttholes. She's in total control. She's a tour <laughs> uh, of her own life. It, maybe that. Maybe it's. Maybe that's it. Do, do you wish you had taken your child to the air store? No, because there's a if movie. If you were super rich. Although the tickets. Are you, movie are you, are are you, you guys are going to go the. You guys are going to go the movie. I could tickets to the movie the are movie. not twenty bucks for your daughter. They would be nineteen dollars and eighty nine cents specifically. No, they're nineteen eighty nine for adults, thirteen thirteen for. Oh my 13, god! I, I did not. I did children. not know that. That is amazing. Yeah, she's uh, a <laughs> Taylor sees all. Yeah. The the prices are the Easter eggs when it comes to Taylor yeah. Swift, <laughs> and, and it's 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 really smart. The movie thing's really smart. Um, it's just another example that she's like really smart, but like. The more the more popular she gets and the more TikTok videos I watch shot from the era's tour where it's like, look at her almost crying during this song about this person she's not dating anymore. The more I'm like, I have no idea who this person is, period. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I assume she's close to who she is, but her ability to become her public uh, persona, even though she does control a lot of it, she doesn't control all of it. But to be able to sit in that pocket from her first album to now where it's like, I know what she's singing about and I feel her feelings is a, a weird uh, talent that I don't understand how musicians are able to like pull off for decades. If you have like a couple of good albums because you're a good composer, great. If you have a really accessible album because you're a great lyricist, great. But just being able to consistently do it, to get, consistently wear the mask of Taylor Swift that uh, to the point that I don't even know if it's a mask. I just suspect that I don't know who Taylor Swift is. Uh, that's that's great. That's what we want from our performers. I, I assume. Well, I, I follow someone on Instagram, uh, an actor who's not that big, but uh, was hanging out with Taylor Swift and Mike Birbiglia the other day. Mike, sure. Mike Birbiglia and, and Taylor Swift are friends. And then, the, yes, and then this person who will remain nameless, uh, because I don't know how widely spread their Instagram is, but, like, why are all, th like, who are you, Taylor Swift? When I saw this picture of her and Mike Birbiglia, I'm like, I really don't understand anymore. You just have everyone's your friend, and you're everywhere, and you and you know everyone, and she's pulling out every string. Like, I'm sure that was an authentic moment. She's every just, invisible she's string. She's ultimately connected. Um, the, one, the one thing to, to wrap up, maybe, uh, is I recently rewatched the movie Airheads. Uh, starring Brendan Fraser, interesting, and a classic Colorado tale, uh, and Adam Sandler, and um, it actually made me think of something. Uh, maybe I mentioned on the podcast before that I recently read uh, Eric Thompson's Hitmakers, this book about popularity and um, and how things became popular, and the weird thing that Airheads put in my brain uh, that the book gets into too. I would recommend people go there for the full explanation here, but like thinking about hit tunes and how important radio still is uh, and how it, the thing with airheads is that these guys, these schmoes who have cut a metal album cannot get anyone to play it because this radio station is converting to like top 40 radio and they are basically choosing which songs to play by whoever is paying them to play them. Not because it's cool to play good music. They will play five songs over and over and over again. This is what happened to American radio, that it used to be curated by DJs, and now people pay and, and the big songs get played over and over and over again. And I feel like this really happened with Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's music gets played over and over and over and over and over again on radio. You don't hear that many songs if you're driving home from work and you turn on a pop station, you'll hear Taylor Swift. There's a high percent chance. And I do think that there is something culturally beyond the machinations of Taylor and her control of her own brand that like puts her there's not that many pop stars left that just as movie stars are kind of a dying breed i feel like pop stars are too she's she's become monolithic partially because radio stations will just play her over and over and we all kind of fell in love with her by force like there's no way around it we have to. these things that are become super popular are because we're told they are 
and that there aren't a lot there's not a lot of curation okay josie and the pussycats all right uh well airheads thank you for helping uh synthesize this idea for me because when they held up that radio station i started to understand finish the segment so we can all find out who you were talking about uh the segment is over once upon a time a few mistakes ago i was in your sights you got me alone you found me you found me you found me Katie, before the podcast, I was telling you about one of Netflix's like new hundred million dollar TV shows. You were off at TIFF, but I was at home. Well, actually, this was before <laughs> TIFF. When I had COVID, I was just like plowing through One Piece. It's a brand new anime adaptation. It's actually based on a manga, one of the longest running mangas of all time. It's been going since the late 90s. There are uh thousand plus volumes of this or chapters of this manga uh the ichihiro oda has been writing and they made it into a extremely popular anime and there's so many episodes of that too this is a no-brainer play for netflix to get the anime kids like because cowboy bebop worked out so well for them uh, this start they put this into motion before Cowboy Bebop, yes, but <laughs> I will say uh, One Piece is is much more successful, um, and I could explain why in a second. But like you told me, you've never even heard of this, and it is on the platform right now. Is that right? Like, has anyone heard of this? Is this on anyone's radar? Why did they make a show that no mm-hmm. one would watch? Well, this is supposed to be. Huge. I am a terrible example for no one. Um, I have been in a film festival bubble. It does not sound like it would be something that anyone left. at, like, no one at Netflix is going to be like, "Yes, you are the awards editor for Vanity Fair. This is the like sh- the show that you need to be watching." I mean, Cowboy Bebop. I knew that name because of like friends in college and because of you guys. I watched some of it for this show. Like, if you had assigned it to me, I also like. Don't you feel like something that if like the strike wasn't on, I'd been like, oh, who are these like young kids who they're promoting this new Netflix show? I don't know anything about. Um, it feels like kind of designed to fall through a crack for me, but not necessarily for everybody. So Is it doing well? Yeah, it's doing well. It's doing okay. I guess it's like number three on the platform currently under season five of Virgin River, a show. I have not heard of, um, and I have never understood. Is so, that good? What do we call that? But I gotta say, how's, I it, com- how's it comparing you don't know to Virgin suits? River? No, do you watch Virgin River, David? No, What's but I'm aware of its five? existence. I mean, I know she's that she's still it virgin at the river. They're sitting by the river. I just, I imagine that Virgin River. Is this river... one of those Canadian shows that shows up in? Oh, filmed in British Columbia. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Best rivers, <laughs> best place to be a virgin. Um. <laughs> I have to imagine a Canadian drama is not costing Netflix, especially if it's licensed for some Canadian. Uh, oh, a hundred million dollars. Uh, yeah. The, but the figure that I'm seeing on Wikipedia, this is reported by uh cosmopolitan SEO bait. What was the budget for Netflix's one piece, but it's still, it's definitely costing over a hundred billion dollars. It's 138 billion. According to this Cosmo article, this is a huge, I mean, they hit Katie. This is a pirate show. There are pirates. Mm-hmm. There are um, huge bat special effect battles because the main character, whose name is Monkey D. Luffy, uh, ate a, a demon fruit uh, in this world, and he can stretch. He is a Stretch Armstrong type, and he can bounce cannonballs back to his enemies because he can stretch himself into a bit of a, a, a stretchy man and bounce them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the, anything of this make the sense? Way this- <laughs> the way this intersected uh, my realm of life He's is uh, over on the Marvel Studios subreddits and whatnot, people are like, why did they change Kamala Khan's powers to energy powers when One Piece is out here showing us we could do stretchy people? And that's how I was aware that One Piece was out. I w- I'm aware of the manga. It's just never been... Uh, but just that me reading manga has never been something that has happened uh, completely my fault. It's not because I haven't found a good one or anything like that. I'm also not a big manga reader, but I dove in thanks to the Viz app, which is actually giving away like 100 cha- uh, volumes for free or chapters for free right now. And if anyone wants to go to the, the Viz Shonen Jump app uh, to want to read this, I encourage them, especially you, Dave, because this show really reminds me of Avatar Last Airbender. Not necessarily the oh, like, cool. uh, conceit, but like Luffy is Ang. Like clearly they're ripping off 
Oda here uh, writing for this character who's just happy-go-lucky, kind of stupid, like just wants to be the king of the pirates and get his team together, his team being uh, a man who uses three swords to do sword fights, uh, a woman thief, a, a chef who kicks people really hard. You got all the types on this pirate ship. Uh, and it's just a happy-go-lucky, weird-ass adventure where, like, all the telephones are snails for some reason. And there are big, like, clown pirates who they attack. I don't know who this show was for, but certainly it's not for Katie, who didn't even know it existed before. Would my <laughs> child like this? Would my seven-year-old who likes... I wonder if the, that'd be too the, weird so here's stuff violent, like it. but... Uh, your kids How's see everything second? violent. So, Is it, yeah, they second, love it. The second, yes, the yes, second we've been barrier watching, to entry. Uh, it follows. Thank you very yeah. much. The second barrier to entry, which actually probably isn't a problem for Katie's kids who've been trained on Titanic and Avatar, but <laughs> I was like, maybe I have a chance in between podcasts today to check out One Piece so I could talk with Patches with it. The pilot's 64 minutes long, oh and every one of them is over like 50 minutes. Some are over an hour uh, episodes. Well, you'll be happy uh, so to know that the it, main criticism from many manga and anime fans is that uh, it's it, it's too quick. <laughs> it it too rushes quick. things on this adaptation. Yeah, there's a thousand issues of this thing out there. When How we can talk they possibly... about shonen storytelling, we we are talking about what people might be familiar with, like Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z, where you will just have countless episodes where two heroes or the hero and villain are staring each other down, throwing one punch, maybe landing a kick. Then we're just getting on to the next chapter where there's babble. Like this manga and anime take takes its time, uh, and and American television has no patience for such things and condenses the drama quite a bit. You do lose a little the the character, but uh, I don't think the sacrifices are too deep. I think actually, Katie, your kids would really enjoy this as adventure okay. themes. You, I mean, if they've seen Avatar: The Way of Water, they have seen more violence. Uh, realistic violence than anything. To be clear, I have one child who has seen these things. The other one is four and has no patience for any of this. But yes. will <laughs> get there. Um, we were watching the Angry Birds movie today. We contain multitudes. But uh, <laughs> I would be very anxious. I have no idea. I don't know anyone in real life who has watched Netflix's One Piece show. Um, I'm a very Oh, alone so it's not just world. me. You're making me feel like some well, weirdo. I don't really talk to a lot of other people besides you. So that <laughs> <laughs> When I say I don't know anyone, I mostly asked you and you said no. So... I'm, David, I'm, was did you know this show existed? Yes. Okay. Did you watch it? <laughs> no, I have no interest. But I am uh, well aware that it exists. It's been the it's been Netflix's best rated show for a number of weeks now. Um, they haven't done that much else. This, yeah. this seems like a big gamble for Netflix. That uh, besides their countless reality programs that David does watch. Yeah, if the strike keeps going, this is just going to have to sustain us. This will be it. Well, I will add this to my queue because uh, you know what I'm not fucking adding my queue is Depp Be Heard. Fuck that. All right. One Piece. Let's do it. Virgin River Season 5. Now. It goes like this. How, 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 how. Okay, for segment three, I promise I'm not going to talk very much uh, because I, I'm, I, you, <laughs> Katie, and David. You did not go to a film festival. I did not go to a film festival. You did go to a film festival. You went to one of the biggest ones of the year. Uh, we talked to David a little about Telluride last week. I don't know. Time's getting crazy. But one thing that struck me out of that conversation, David, was we tried to steer away from what's going to win best picture like what's going to be the oscar conversation and i'm sure that if you go listen to the fantastic podcast little gold men katie has probably talked at length That's about right. oscar predictions and what tiff means about the awards season so i'm assuming i mean no i definitely listened and i know that you did this um <laughs> it's not out yet but yes. oh i mean i will be listening <laughs> okay i people hear this I'm it will be assume out that uh, little gold men went deep <laughs> on this topic but what struck me about our Telluride conversation is we kind of steered toward maybe a more important question about what you guys saw at TIFF, which is, will what movies are coming out of this festival, not, not that will be awards contenders, but that will make a splash at the movies? What, will, what do you think people uh -huh. will see? And what do you think could have cultural moments? Do you think that these movies, and there are so many, can actually find audiences at this kind of bleak time for for theater going and like what's what's going to rouse 
audiences? Do you think there's there's things that will get people to actually tune in on Netflix? There's a lot of Netflix movies that seem to have premiered across these festivals as well. And just like, who will sit down and watch this stuff? Do you think there are movies that people will go see? And why? <laughs> this is a Katie, good now question that you know for... about One Piece, what dethrones One Piece? <laughs> How do I compare any of these movies to One Piece? <laughs> um, well, it's a good question for TIFF in particular because their audience award is very famous. It's like something that all the studios want for their future Oscar contenders. But also their audiences are really celebrated for a reason. Like these people come in hype and there were no there were some movie stars there this year not that many given this ongoing strike and so you're kind of like oh well are they like really gonna be so energetic if like uh glenn powell's not sitting right there in front of them and like yes they were they were so into the movies like the most fun screenings i had were like some of like the big giant premiere crowd pleasers and like some movies that had distribution like dumb money which is coming out um wide and i think two weeks i think it's unlimited release this week that was like a huge big old crowd pleaser i don't know i mean i hope it makes money like it's about the gamestop thing which like eight million people participated in so maybe that many people will buy tickets um but i think people would have a really good time if they went to see it i think you're asking what will succeed on netflix i want them all to go into theaters i don't want people to get well, stuck watching i don't really mean that like people should go see what these movies on netflix i, I mostly mean that's one I mean, some venue of them will for be some on netflix like it's and some of these movies I, like poor I mean, things i think will, will come out i, I think you're you should be asking, though, what people are going to see in theaters, because seeing these movies in theaters, we had the privilege of doing, it just reminds you, not that I needed reminding, of how bone-ass fucking stupid the streaming model is. I was sitting mm-hmm. there, the last movie I saw before getting the hell out of town was this movie called The Burial that apparently Amazon's been sitting on for a while, which is a classic courtroom drama, albeit very funny and uh, confidently made by Maggie Betts, who made Novitiate. It's set in 1995. It might as well be made in 1995. It's a true life story about a case involving a Mississippi funeral home. It stars Tommy Lee Jones and Jamie, Jamie Foxx as unlikely friends. Um, it is it, like, like so many movies, including bad movies that I saw at the Princess of Wales Theater in Toronto. It absolutely brought the house down. And it's going to be in theaters for one week in October before Amazon puts it on Prime. And that is... Uh, you know, watching it in the theater where every minor joke, even the jokes from Next Goal Wins, which is a dire movie, were uh, were slaying. Um, and I'm not sure that one's going to play so well in theaters. Anyway. No, I think no that one's going to see that movie. And uh, yeah, as it should be. But um, the reality is that, like, yeah, the audiences bring so much to these movies. It's transformed experience, as you all know. Um, but it, it's just like, who gives a shit who's going to watch the burial at home? I mean, this was an experience that they're depriving people of having. Um, and like some of these movies, like, you know, like American Fiction is an MGM release. It's coming out in theaters in November. I think it's going to have like real awards conversation around it. Jeffrey Wright is really great in it. And it's like a literary world satire. So you're like, oh, all these like fancy people will watch it. And then like normal people will watch it at home. But like it brought the house down, like David just said, like it was the first time since Barbie that like the audience was laughing so loud at a joke that I couldn't hear the next joke. Like it was such a good time. And again, like I think those festival audiences are an outlier. You're not always going to get like a crowded house of people who are so psyched to be there. But it, it is something where you feel the audience carrying you along on this tide of this comedy you're all enjoying together. And people just had that with Barbie and had a blast and should want to enjoy that kind of thing. So you just hope some of these studios are like willing to try to capture that. (laughs) What are the odds that Amazon ceases to be in operation? uh, (laughs) I feel like Amazon is maybe too big a target Uh, to go after. It's a Um, a shame. Wait, David, you saw you saw Hitman in Venice, right? I so no, I didn't. I I did not go to Venice. I don't know how. I don't know. You went to tell your I don't know where you are. uh, (laughs) I um. Hitman is a great example because I saw Hitman in a New York screening room with three or four other people and there was not a single laugh between us. And then oh. I read reports out of Venice where it was like they were p- pumping nitrous oxide into the theaters out there. I was like, what fucking movie did they show these people? So and apparently the, the reaction, the, the reaction, right? Yeah, the reaction was similar at Toronto. Um, yeah. And I talked to people it who saw it. got a mid-movie applause Yeah, break, and, I, ta- and I know exactly, so I know exactly uh, what scene you're talking about. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but I... Um, I talked to people who saw it at a similar critic screening in L.A., and they reported the same reaction. They're like, it's fine. Um, and that, that kind of disconnect, and I've been doing this for a long time, that kind of disconnect rarely happens, but like for it to be this pronounced. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, you know, Hitman is completely airless when you're watching it on your own. Um, I think 
if you see it in a theater, it could be a great time, as Katie, I'm sure, would tell you. Yeah. Yeah, and like that one doesn't have distribution yet. I'm guessing someone will pick it up and Did it we say won't this come is out the this new fall. Richard Linklater movie. Did we explain what hit me? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Oh. This is the new this is the new Richard Linklater movie starring Glenn Powell, um, based on a true story of a guy who was a fake hitman working with the I think he lived in Houston. The movie is set in New Orleans, um, where he's like a mild mannered teacher and then he transforms into all these different hitmen. Uh and it's kind of like a film noir kind of riff, but it's just really light and funny and Glenn Powell is really charming. Um so yeah, my guess is a distributor will pick it up and release it sometime next year. I don't think there's any reason to try to rush it through award season corridor. But again, we're running out of movies, I mean, so who there knows are, what's going to happen? Looking at the schedule for next year, in terms of like bigger movies that might play in multiplexes, next year is surprisingly crowded, at least through the first half, and the rest of this year anemic. So I wouldn't actually be yeah, surprised no, to see it man, who knows what's, come out. Who but knows what's um, happen. the one, you know, there there are a couple movies that I think could pop. Um, Dick's the musical, you know, with A24 behind it, which is coming out in October. It's, you know, a very, very foul-mouthed musical based on an off-Broadway play called, uh, like, Fucking Identical Twins, which is meant to be interpreted in both ways that you can read that uh, by the end. Uh, And it's basically the parent trap with two flamboyantly gay men who are both playing straight in the movie who find out that they... uh, you know, they were separated at birth from their parents um, and they obviously want to fuck each other. <laughs> and it's uh, Nathan Lane and the Sewer Boys and, uh, you know, uh, Megan Mullally plays their mother and her vagina has literally crawled out off of her body like a creature in the thing. And they had to beat it to death with a flip flop. It's that kind of movie. Um, that could... It had a trailer before TIFF that looked so yeah. dire, and people who had seen it were like, no, I promise it's actually funny, and oh, then no. apparently... I didn't see it at TIFF, but apparently it really, uh, it, it is really funny. based off an album, like, again, it's the kind of movie that, you know, I can imagine sitting, like, somewhat straight-faced while watching at home, but similar to the show that was running in theaters for a while, I mean, I think, like, that... Yeah. This is a movie that could, could bring crowds together, particularly, you know, particularly on the coast, you know, where there are large LGBTQ, LGBT communities... Um, I think it could do well there um, and could catch on beyond that. Megan the Stallion's in it. She has a great song um, that could work. I mean, the real movie that I'm, I'm really curious to see how it performs and I'm like cautiously optimistic could kind of pop despite how deranged it is, is Poor Things, which wasn't at TIFF. But yeah, uh, I haven't it, seen it. Poor Things is so audacious, so wild. There's so much sex in it. It's basically the plot of Barbie. Barbie meets Frankenstein, but like. Emma Stone naked and fucking the entire time and Mark Ruffalo just giving the performance of a lifetime. Um, in addition, Emma Stone is giving one of her own. Uh, like that, that could really be a sensation and something that people are talking about and telling their friends they have to go see. It doesn't come out until December on the same day as The Boy and the Heron and uh, a couple of other <laughs> movies. So, I feel like um, you can, they can live with that competition. Like those movies yeah. can coexist peacefully. What's our Barbenheimer yeah, combo? Yeah, yeah it's the, uh, the, uh, the poor heron. Anyway, I can the boy things. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> they, there, there's, there's another movie that's opening that day. I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that could be interesting. I think that could pop. It doesn't have the benefit, as Yorgos Lanthimos' last movie did, of being about the royal family of England, um, which brings in a different crowd. And that movie was a lot more accessible. You could see it with uh, certain kinds of moms and dads without them excommunicating you, which would not be the case with poor things. Um, but we'll see. I think. Oh, man, you want to talk about a movie that I immediately knew I would recommend my mom and dad and I think would also like play well in its own way at the holdovers. Uh, I, it, yeah, I was I was going to get there before you said it. Yeah, and uh, it did not play well with one fourth of this podcast. I'll tell you that. Oh, wow. Oh, well, The Holdovers played great with me and I've the audience I saw it with who were having a great time. The, but that's, um, a, that's this is the new Alexander Payne like, film. It's the new Alexander Payne movie, Reunites with Paul Giamatti, who plays a uh, crabby high school teacher. And he basically spends Christmas break with a kid who's been left there. And a in 1970, which is in important because like, yeah, so the much period the movie aspect is important. that works is just steeped in that Hal Ashby sort of an, uh, atmosphere. Uh, I saw this one in a packed at the world premiere the pat a packed theater in telluride and it was very subdued and none of the critics really liked it um, interesting it played so really well in toronto i know it did i mean the oscar bloggers uh, if you want to throw your line in you know with the I jeff mean, wells and sasha stones of the world they loved it favorite film of the year so i guess you're like okay. them but oh, okay. um i wow. uh, i thought it was pretty weak tea as far as alexander payne goes giamatti who i love to death i love them both when they work together i mean sideways is, is you know incredible uh, but his character is a hat and a hat, a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. 
The main character is played by an actor they plucked out of Deerfield Academy's acting program. I thought it was annoying as shit. It's not an adjective <laughs> I often use about movies calling them annoying. Don't go but, too far here. We should, we'll talk about this one. I, 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 gave, I gave this movie a gentleman's B minus or B or something like that. And I kind of regret it. But, um, but Divine Joy Randolph's really good. There's some really beautiful crushing moments that are the kind of things that people just don't write into movies anymore. And when this movie mm-hmm. gets it right, which it doesn't very often, it is really, really nice. But, uh, not, not a great ratio. I'm going to throw out a you can see it with your parents thing that I think could also be like an art house. Uh, what was, I, can, I can see it doing well. Anatomy of a Fall, the which run the Palm mm. d'Or and it's like basically a courtroom drama, but like not. It's like about a relationship falling apart, but it's funny. It's got this great performance from Sandra Huller at the center of it. it I mean, it's long, but it just like whips by. Um, I feel like people would be really well rewarded by going out to yeah. theaters to see that one. Like, and it's a good wanna- time. I do want to say you are right. Like when it comes to movies that people, I can picture people going out in like a blustery winter day with their family on a holiday, on a Sunday afternoon, whatever the case might be. I mean, like the holdovers is is what you would see in the time of movie going that I'm nostalgic for. Yeah, it's opening Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. What else are you going to do? Yeah, like that would be a fine time. And I I hope people do go see that, even if I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. Um, Anatomy of a Fall. I I think you Uh, it rules. Yeah. absolutely rules i mean yeah there are some beautiful movies i think we kind of touched on the ones that could pop um you know Saltburn, what are you curious to see um, would you would you come out of curious about or dave uh, too yeah dave anything from tiff hit your radar while you're playing Baldur's uh, gate 3 will anything get you unplugged from your console well there's a, <laughs> Pr- a patricia arquette hunter s thompson movie that i'm definitely curious about what is that? which i did not see not heard gonzo. Gonzo, gonzo girl, girl. Oh, written, wow. written by a uh, friend of mine or co-written by a friend of mine from grad school yeah. Look at people oh hey things. oh well now i want to see have, it uh, yeah that's that sounds like uh sort of up my alley uh there was another uh english one that seemed to be getting a little bit of buzz that won't let me see english language or is. english uh uh yeah, the, from the classical English. Uh, the end we start from. Jodie Comer. Yeah, one. it's like a yeah, like a post-apocalyptic thing. I don't know. I ended We're up getting two Jodie Comer movies this year. Yeah, uh, bike riders coming coming in hot too. Vroom vroom, vroom vroom. Uh, and the other one is one that has always been one of my favorite uh, crazy reality TV stories that I guess is getting a documentary made about yes. it. It's the contestant. I saw this yeah. movie. It is wild shit. It is an acquisitions title as far as I know. Um, so it does not have distribution, but it is a story about uh, sort of the wild west of the early days of reality TV. Um, it, in Japan in uh, like 1999 or 2000 um, uh, a guy it's really hard to explain but essentially a guy got old boyed for real like he went he went into a uh, audition for a reality TV show he had no idea what the show was going to be it was a segment on another reality TV show essentially and he won randomly in this room and they took him directly from this room in a car they blindfolded him they put him in another room stripped him of all his clothes left him no food and a bunch of magazines and said you can only survive off of what you win in contests that you play from the, the pages of this magazine. And uh, yeah. yeah, and he, he I mean, the door was not locked. He could leave at any time, but uh, he didn't. He stayed there. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but I will tell you that it goes on for more than a year and that he never found a single wearable article of clothing, which means that he spent a year uh on television he did not know he was on television he was under the impression given that again this was the early days of reality tv that they were going to take the footage that they were shooting with a camcorder in his room and cut it into something after the fact did not know that video of his exploits was being uh shown to 30 million 17 million people in japan every week um and eventually a live stream was installed and they had someone uh, his name was eggplant nasubi it translates to eggplant and they this is kind of where the eggplant emoji comes from They had a guy whose job it was with a little joystick on the live stream to follow his penis with the eggplant (laughs) and make sure that the penis did not make it onto camera. Um, What a job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, but uh, it is it's literally the first 20 minutes of old boy, except for he can leave at any time. But he doesn't. And it gets so cruel and so fucked up. Um, Is it great filmmaking this movie? No, but it's an amazing story. And what became of this guy is kind of amazing. Um, it's called the contestant. 
while we're seeing. But I also want to shout out the Nicolas Cage, uh, Christopher uh, Borgley movie, Dream Scenario, which was produced by Ari Aster and A24 is putting out, um, uh, in which Nicolas Cage plays a college professor who spontaneously starts showing up in everybody around the world's dreams, just standing there. Uh, and it becomes a very, very funny, very surreal comedy about um, sort of fame in the internet age, as Borgley's last two movies were, Sick of Myself and Drab, and Drib. Patch is the Drib guy, you love him. Um and uh and also the See, Royal that's Hotel. One, that's one that I liked and then kind of fell off the fell off yeah. of as the movie went on. Although I think Nicolas Cage is like really great in it throughout. The last third is the weakest, but it is uh that's a movie's a lot of fun. Um and yeah, shout outs to the Royal Hotel, which is a great thriller that made by Kitty Green's coming out in early October. Yeah, you talked and about all that one us, out of Tell You Right. Yeah, we talked about that one, yeah. And uh and All of Us Strangers, which I also talked about last week, I'm sure, by Andrew Hay. I want to see. So what's what's going to be this year's tar? Is it going to be something like, I don't know, <laughs> tightly wound and character driven? Oh, no. Well, that's so literal. Tar was no. good. No, I haven't seen tar. It's, I haven't it's seen still, my show. It's still, still tar. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just, when, tar, I, when I think of... Tightly wound, character driven, and nobody goes to see it? Is that what we're going to do? Wait, you don't think anyone saw tar? No, clearly people saw Tar. No, just like everyone wasn't who like saw Tar st- abused their own. Tweeted violence. about it. First, yeah, is on this yeah. podcast. I mean, Tar um, made twenty-five million dollars. It became real meme fodder. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yes, when, you're when talking about meme fodder. A movie break. I mean, whether it's meme so, fodder, I think, and makes a hundred million dollars. I mean, a, a, a three-hour character study of a, no, of a well, you know, of almost like a B two drama here. It's like that. That's astonishing. That. That had a cultural there is You don't get a tar every year, and we're certainly not getting one this year, but I do think the closest, based on the parameters that Patch just described, might be Emerald Fennell Saltburn, uh, which is not a tenth of the movie that tar is, but is uh, silly and, and memeable um, and feels, I suppose, with some of the same themes if you squint. Um, and it's not going to get that kind of awards attention or being the, the zeitgeist, but I think... People will be talking about it online anyway. I don't know. That that's like it has sort of like a vague tar energy. <laughs> I just want a movie that everyone's like talking about for real for like weeks. I, tar didn't poor things. It's going to be poor things. Anything is probably going to be poor. It's going to be poor things. Yeah, it's shagadelic. Uh, we have a while to wait for poor things. I mean, I think Killers of the Flower Moon is gonna is gonna kind of really mm. pop back up when it comes out in early October too. Yeah, I hope so. I mean. Some would say that it's Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance of his entire <laughs> career. Did you really Orgasm. say that? I mean, I didn't it's punctuate on, it like that. Trailer. The trailer did. <laughs> My cadence was slightly different. Uh, but it, it probably is. I mean, it, it's up there with Wolf of Wall Street um, in terms of like his performance. I, think, I have some misgivings about the movie, but I think he's so incredible in it. He's pretty great in it. We'll get there. We'll have time to talk about Killers in a couple weeks. So... Do you guys feel excited about the fall movie going? I was saying this to someone earlier that like going to Toronto, seeing all these movies with a bunch of audiences, being like really hyped about movies that are coming out and then coming home and being like, the strikes will never end. And we're all stuck was really depressing. You're, you're feeling. Hey, but Bill Maher is trucking on anyway. So Hollywood is safe. Yeah. Yeah. Like coming back to Drew Barrymore being a scab is not what I asked for. I mean, that's, a, that's an <laughs> interesting uh, ending to, to this, Katie. You know, you went to the festival. <laughs> Sorry. We were no. I mean, we were talking before the podcast, like. Do I feel, do I miss going to Toronto as regularly as I, as I did? I don't really, but I, you're right. Like the fun of it is convening with all these people that you recognize or just the uh, groups of people who are very excited to see movies and you're there and you're watching them in theaters and it's awesome. And you come back to reality. And now the question is, are you still excited for movie season? It's like, is there hope for a lot of this stuff? Are you ready for the conversations? Because we often talk about this podcast, like, you go to a festival and it feels like all the conversation happens and now it's over. But no, these movies are need to take root in the weeks to come and, and real people will be talking about them. I wonder yeah, how we you gotta feel. Yeah, we got to fight like, about the fake nose and maestro for six more months. You've gotten the big up. preview. So it, does it feel exciting? Yeah. By what I feel so excited for people to see American fiction and like see the stuff that I got Who's really excited about. Is that like coming out American it's MGM oh, yeah MGM it's coming said, out okay. in early so we'll yeah, be on Amazon eventually <laughs> like I I've want like everyone to like like make a like cut a video to the song that's featured prominently in Anatomy of a Fall that I won't spoil but like once you see it you're gonna have a second in your head for a week and um yeah I feel like there's just so much stuff to dig into there I'm gonna watch David's video and like 
Uh, He's going to start all the memes. I got to. Don't remind me. You're going to use um, that song from Anatomy Before. Uh, I, you I, just I, have to. We'll very likely use that song. In some, I mean, definitely we'll use it in some capacity, but I have to make that fucking video and I haven't even really thought about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, movies. Movies. Go see them. There's more of them. <laughs> That does it for this week's show. We're all back together. It's nice. I'm not going anywhere for a while. Then Dave's going to go into book tour and all hell's going to break loose again. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Enjoy figuring this podcast out. Yeah. No, no. You guys, you guys could do it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, executive editor over at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches and Letterboxd and Blue Sky, blah, blah, bloop. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where, as mentioned, we... Talked at length about the Taylor Swift documentary from a few years ago. There's definitely an episode on that. We've all been to TIFF before. You can listen to old TIFF episodes and see if we were right about the movies or, I don't know, Fighting the War Room. Listen to whatever you want. I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on Blue Sky and Letterboxd. It's similar. You can find me in the infinite ranks on Marvel Snap. You can find all of us together on iTunes. Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We will read it live on the show. A fact that we prove the start of every episode at length, including this one. If you are not in the United States and still like to leave us a review, uh, there are alternate ways of doing that. Dave, can you tell the people what they are? Yeah, you can head over to your email device and send us an email at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you do that. Uh, but of course, also inside your individual Apple app stores, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, so uh, as for me, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at DA7E on uh threads if we're still doing that at grumpy day da70 because that's how i feel about it and then as i plugged earlier in the show uh the mcubook.com uh the place for all your mcu book uh pre-ordering and event needs uh i'm katie rich you can find me at vanity fair as uh, matt patch is handily promoted for me on the local men podcast talking about toronto I recorded that episode from uh, the floor of an Airbnb, so it sounds worse than this. Um, so enjoy me and the glory of my at-home microphone on this podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're all on Twitter. We're in Enroll Blue Sky, uh, but mostly Twitter probably at F-I-T-W-R, where you can uh, tell me what interests you from Toronto, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of A Haunting in Venice in theaters this weekend, what is your favorite supernatural mystery story? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.